Yeah, so I'm, I'm thrilled that the choir was able to pull together that anthem for today as our sermon today is, of course, trust God's plan. Now, this is a running theme through the entire Bible and definitely in the book of Isaiah, the call to trust the Lord. So we'll return to that today as we look at some scripture from the close of Isaiah chapter 48, which is a bridge to um, the second major servant prophecy in Isaiah 49. This trust trust issue. You know, in the Bible, the term trust and the Hebrew and Greek terms for trust are often used for um, actionable faith. This reminds me, uh, you know, of the story about the guy who is on the building that's on fire and uh, the, the firemen throw a rope to the man and they say, all you have to do is grab hold of this rope and swing down. And we have, uh, you know, we have nets down here. We'll catch you. You'll be saved. And the man's up there and the fire, the fire is raging in the building. And they say, look, don't you believe us? All you need to do is grab hold of the rope and come down and we have you. And he says, yes, I believe you. I'm just not sure I trust you. See, there's a big difference between intellectual mind games we can play with ourselves and religious mind games we can play with. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus. Do you really? Are, are you living like it? Are you giving like it? Are you witnessing like it? You know, almost every time the term is used in the New Testament to believe, it, it's paired with a preposition that means into believe into Jesus. It's not like, oh yeah, he's out there somewhere. I kind of theoretically, you actually put yourself into him. You actually take hold of the rope and give yourself to him. That's what the Bible is talking about. That's what we're talking about throughout every Lord's day we gather. And certainly during this stewardship season, there's a difference between saying we love the Lord and actually loving him. Oh yeah, honey, it, it's fine. I love you. Will you marry me and actually stay committed to those covenant vows? That's a, that's a different conversation. That's real covenant love, like what the Bible talks about. So today's sermon again is trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. And uh, on that note, we'll be turning to Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48, verses 17 through the close of the chapter at 20, 22. Hear now God's word. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Declare with a shout of joy, proclaim it. 
send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from, for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. We will have another scripture reading kind of in the middle of the sermon here, and I want to go ahead and put you on notice. You need to have the sermon notes because it's right there kind of above the fold. I'll have you stand and read several passages of scripture with me in response in the middle of our sermon today. But we're going to start off with this theme, this message from God. Um, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Winsome Sears, what a name, Winsome, right? That's what we're called to be as Christians, to be uh, not ob obnoxious witnesses for Jesus, but instead to be winsome witnesses for Jesus. Winsome Sears was elected uh, this past week, I don't know if you saw the news, as the Lieutenant Governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Winsome Sears. I'm gonna talk about a couple of people from the news this week that their stories and their testimonies hit me. When, when Winsome Sears was six years old, she was a little Jamaican girl. She and her family immigrated legally uh, to the United States and her, her daddy moved them to the Bronx, to a tough area of the Bronx. Uh, by the time he had paid for and arranged for them to travel to the Bronx, uh, in his first day in the United States of America, after arriving in the Bronx, Winsome Sears' dad had a dollar seventy-five to his name. A dollar seventy. I'm, I'm just going to guess most of you and most of, most of you watching. Hey, you've got an electronic device. You probably have more than a dollar seventy-five to your name. But you know what? He had faith. He was a strong Christian. And he believed that God had called him to the United States of America, and he wanted to pursue education and advancement for himself and for his children. Because his idea was the education and the, the possibilities for people, regardless of your race, skin, color, background, are the greatest in the United States and anywhere in the world. That was what he believed. Can you think of it? The best education in the world available in the United States of America. Well, he pursued his education. He took all kinds of jobs, a combination of jobs, making virtually what we would consider nothing. And he worked his way up and, and, and Winston followed suit. She worked her way through high school, you know, a lot of disadvantages as a Jamaican girl background, but she made it all the way through. She graduated from high school. Can you imagine that? And after graduating from high school, she enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps. Now, we're, we're going to recognize that this is Veterans Week, so I thought this was kind of cool. This is a Marine veteran uh, who was able to then go on and get a community college degree um, and a college, a full university degree, and a graduate degree, kind of bridging off of her service in the United States Marine Corps. She also, as a Marine, met her uh, future husband, a fellow Marine, and they were both, they both actually served the, the Marines as electricians. And sure enough, down the road now for years, um, Winsome and her husband, Terrence, have owned and he's run a small plumbing and electrical company in Virginia. 
the Shenandoah Company, electrical and plumbing company. So anyway, that, that's, what, that's what they do. Now, their, their story is one of great blessing and success, but also of challenge. You may know their story. They have three children, uh, but one of their children, a daughter, developed a bipolar disorder uh, by the time she was a teenager and then a young adult, lots of increasing struggles. And Winsome Sears, who had been elected, upset a, a longtime incumbent Democrat in the Virginia Assembly uh, to win a seat in the Virginia Assembly, lost a later race running for U.S. Congress, and then took, took a number of years off from politics because she was trying to help and care for her now adult uh, bipolar daughter, uh, who, by the way, had two children. And tragically, I think about 11 years ago, that daughter and her two young children were all killed in an automobile accident uh, that she had. So Winsome Sears has, has known what it is to go through challenge and grief and loss. Those of you who've lost a child and maybe a child and grandchildren at the same time uh, can relate to that uh, and resonate with that kind of grief. Uh, it's really unimaginable, I think, for, for most of us. But, but just last Tuesday, Winsome Sears became not just the first black woman or the first veteran woman uh, elected to the lieutenant governor position in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but in fact, the first woman, period, elected to that uh, position. And uh, she's also the first, this won't surprise you, the first uh, woman of Jamaican descent ever elected to a statewide office like this uh, in, in Virginia. She said in her speech, uh, Tuesday night when she was declared the winner, she ran in connection with her, her kind of co-running mate was a man named Glenn Youngkin who won the Virginia governorship. She said, we ran an impossible, improbable campaign. God was exactly with us. Otherwise, we would never have made it. And so I want to finish up by thanking you, Jesus. This is on national TV now. By thanking you, Jesus, how sweet it is. I focused us last week on Reformation Sunday. I want to continue to focus us through this uh, stewardship season, certainly on that verse that every Christian should know, certainly every Christian parent should know, and be teaching your children, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Another person in the news on a different level person, uh, but Dansby Swanson, uh, this past week and really for the last couple of weeks, I've been tracking him, you know, great college uh, baseball player who now plays for the Atlanta Braves as their starting shortstop. After his He's from Marietta, uh, Dansby Swanson is. And when he was a one-year-old baby boy, uh, in 1995, the Atlanta Braves won, at least for the Braves, for the Atlanta Braves, when they've been in Atlanta, their only World Series championship. They won, they won a couple other times, you know, I think in, in Boston and Milwaukee. But he was one year old the last time they won the World Series, the Braves did. He grew up as a Braves fan, but he went on and played. He was a dual sport athlete at Marietta High, star basketball player, star baseball player. He went to Vanderbilt on a 
baseball scholarship and was the most outstanding um, player in the 2014 World Series, College World Series. You may remember this. He led Vanderbilt to one of their national championships. And then the next year, uh, he was a finalist for the Golden Spikes and selected number one in the Major League Draft. Can you imagine that? Number one in the entire major league draft. But that's kind of a blessing and a curse, honestly, because if you go number one, you're a marked man. Everybody follows every strikeout, every error you make, you know, for the rest of your life. And this guy was, you know, selected number one, kind of like being recruited as a place kicker for Mississippi State, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, so people are gonna pay attention to what you do, particularly, they really pay attention when you mess up. Have you ever noticed that kickers don't get much credit when they, when they make it, but when they mess up and, we seem to be living a lot of that lately, right? So anyway, but uh, so, uh, you know, uh, kind of a blessing and a curse. He's, he's drafted number one by the Arizona Diamondbacks as their future franchise player, like the face of the franchise. But um, about a month after he's, he left Vanderbilt and is playing in the major leagues in a simulated game. Now, in a simulated game, uh, a pitcher throws a wild pitch that crashes in his face, and he was out for most of his first summer of what would have been his developmental minor league, you know, on the way quickly to the major leagues. And then six months after being selected number one, like Arizona is totally sold out on you, Dansby. You're going to Arizona. You're going to be their future for the next 20 years. They trade him for a pitcher because they needed a pitcher and it's like, well, whatever, you know, move on. They traded him though to his hometown team, the Atlanta Braves. Now fast forward, I've got several Dansby stories for you because he's a very strong Christian. He and his girlfriend, Mallory Pugh, who plays for the US national soccer team, World Cup winner in 2019, Mallory Pugh. Yes, there are some strong Christian women actually on that national team too. Um, they're really strong Christians, but you know, I don't know if you saw the nationally broadcast interview after game four, after Swanson hit that home run and kind of turned the game around and the Atlanta Braves went up three to one on the Houston Astros. Uh, he told the Fox station, you know, this is the national broadcast of the World Series immediately, you know, on the field right after the game. Uh, the, the, the interviewer said, hey, it's really great for you to be playing for your hometown team, isn't it, for the Braves? And I'm, I'm sure that that was really a blessing or an exciting thing for you when you got traded. And he said, actually, no, getting traded over here at the time, I didn't really understand it. I was devastated. But then he said this on national TV, Swanson did. God's always got a plan. And if I've learned one thing, it's having faith in that plan will never fail you. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. In other words, the disappointment of being traded. God worked through it. And then he went on to say, now I get to you know, see my niece and nephew grow up. I'm in Atlanta. Uh, I wouldn't have met Mallory, his Christian soccer star girlfriend, except through Christian friends after he moved back to Atlanta. So he was giving testimony that, but, th but that made me think about and go back to look at some earlier interviews he had. And honestly, I could share a whole lot, but just a few of them, uh, he, he emphasized back in 2018 after a really hard 2017 year, he said, when everything is going well, you don't often make adjustments. Failure teaches you so much. God's timing is everything. He said, there's so many things I can start to list out that God's timing is everything. And my struggling last year with his baseball, but I'm so tremendously thankful that I went through it. 
it's such a blessing, the fact that we're even alive. And then he, he got really philosophical and says, the odds of your even being born are ridiculous. In other words, it's a total miracle that, that, that the world exists and that human beings exist and certainly that you exist. After Swanson, you know, went on in game six to hit that kind of game clinching, uh, put the game out of reach home run, that monster hit that he had off the, the high wall uh, in game six. And then Swanson made the final out, you know, at shortstop to put the game away uh, to give the Braves their first World Series championship since he was a little baby boy. Uh, he, he again was the guy, you know, interviewed on the field immediately following the game. And the, the, the interviewer for Fox asked um, what it felt like. Why, how he thought this had come together. And he said, destiny, I guess, the good Lord, he's blessed me so much. I wouldn't be here without him. Just the peace that he gives me, it's remarkable. Especially in moments like this, you can never go wrong trusting him. You can never go wrong trusting. I'm just so thankful to be here. Isaiah 48, 17, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So for the sermon points today, we've got three of them. Trust God's plan, pay attention. Number one, trust God's plan, pay attention. Moving on to Isaiah 48. Um, 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. Now, do some of you like the beach? Some of you like the beach? I think some of you do. Some of you like the sea. You like the, 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 the particular locations where a river goes into a sea. That's a really gorgeous combination, isn't it? Well, that's what Isaiah is picturing here. So just, just hear this. And God is picturing through Isaiah. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Craig, a lot of songs written off of this now. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like sand. You see this, this picture, can you hear this picture? And remember the prophecy to Abraham that his descendants would be like the sand, okay? It, uncountable. Uh, your, your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off are destroyed from before me. So the takeaway here is to focus on God's word and follow God's word. Focus on God's word and follow God's word. Again, one more Dansby story, Dansby Swanson. He, he talked um, heading into this season, which ended up with, you know, World Series championship, but Early in the season, he did interviews where he talked about how heading into this year, he's always been a strong Christian, but he really got focused this year on doing a devotional with the team chaplain and with his girlfriend, uh, with, with Dansby's girlfriend, Mallory Pugh, with Braves team chaplain, Terry Evans. He started doing then something that he hadn't done before, which is remember the scripture and meditate on the scripture all through the day, including when he's playing in baseball games. So he started doing that this year. He'd never really done that before. And he says, the lesson that I've learned was that you can't go wrong trusting and growing closer to God. You're getting a theme here from Dansby Swanson. He is really into this trust thing. Um, 
you can't go wrong trusting and growing closer to God. Whatever way that works for you, in other words, whatever way gets you to actually read the Bible and think about God every day, okay? Whatever way works for you, but spend time with God. Legitimately spend time in the words that he wrote through people that were on this earth. Spend time in prayer and meditating on his word in silence. Do these things to grow nearer to God. He says when he began to spend real time with God, I mean, really thinking about God's word all through the day, I really started to feel his presence more and to feel more comfortable with the callings he's placed on my heart. Focus on God's word and follow, live by God's word. Now, secondly, trust God's plan, go out go out. And you need to get ready because this is our responsive reading thing. I'm going to read a first verse from Isaiah, and then I want you to see with these other verses how later prophets, Jeremiah, John in the book of the Revelation, and Zechariah all kind of echo off of what God says through Isaiah about going out from Babylon. So Isaiah 48:20, the opening part of it, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Now you all stand, and I want you to read through these uh, with me these other verses. You see they're in sequence here from Jeremiah and Revelation, and then ultimately Zechariah too. Y'all read them with me now. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out from the land of the Chaldeans. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country. That's Jeremiah 50. Now, moving on to Jeremiah 51. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. And then, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then, up, escape to Zion. You who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. That's from Zechariah 2, 7. Thanks for reading those. Y'all may be seated or remain standing if you'd like. <laughs> okay, so what I want you to get on this is you see how this is a theme and a call and a command that runs all through Scripture from Isaiah forward all the way through the close of the New Testament. And it, it's, it's to leave Babylon. And then you see it in the Zechariah. Well, where are we supposed to go? You need to go to Zion. Okay, so both trust moves are key. It's like the guy in the, the fire burning, you know, even if he grabs the rope, where is he supposed to go, right? So uh, both trust moves are essential. Leave Babylon, number one, and number two, come home, come home. Beloved, child, son, daughter, come home to God, to Zion, okay? So, um, so number one, first, leave Babylon. And I know you could say to me, but pastor, Pastor Martin, I don't live in Iraq right now. I've never even been to Iraq, probably most of you never even been to Iraq. And I could say, well, actually, okay, well, it's Egypt too, you know, in the Bible, Babylon represents all the way from the Tower of Babel, 
Okay, it's the same place as Babylon, right? Tower of Babel, all the way through Babylon in Isaiah and all through the Old Testament, all the way through Revelation. Babylon represents the city of man and man's glory and sin. That's what Babylon represents, okay? So you don't have to travel to, and then by the way, Egypt also represents that kind of as a locale, as a nation. So you got the, the Fertile Crescent, right? You got Babylon over here, Tigris and Euphrates, you got the Nile and Egypt, and then right in the middle, you got that little bitty place called Israel. And they're supposed to trust in the Lord and in his little city of Jerusalem, not nearly as sophisticated and as impressive as Babylon, okay? We're supposed to get that. You don't have to go to the Middle East or live in Iraq to get the message. You're supposed to be moving out of Babylon. In fact, you're supposed to flee Babylon and all the seductions of this age of man in which we live. Okay, that's what the Bible is talking about. And, and to make this really clear, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this. He's applying it to this imagery that you're getting in Isaiah, not only about Babylon, but also about the Exodus and how God's going to provide for you in the desert, right? It's, it's moving out of Egypt. Paul is talking about the move out of Egypt and for the, the generation that's brought out, and he applies it to us. He's talking about how we're not supposed to grumble, we're supposed to stay faithful. The generation that was delivered out of Egypt was not so. And he says this, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking up at verse 11. Now, these things happen to them. In other words, the sinful generation after the Exodus. And by the way, you could say also Isaiah's generation too, dealing with Assyrian Babylon. Now, these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. Do you see that? For our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore... Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. In other words, you're probably in bed with Babylon too. You claim you're not, but you probably are. This is what Paul is saying. You need to be careful about this. No temptation. This is where this verse comes from. It's from this passage, from this conversation. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Get out of Babylon, okay? Get out of bed with the whore of Babylon. That's what God is saying. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, the temptation. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, you could say, well, I don't have little like figures that I carry around. Well, you probably do actually, but beyond that, Everything that puts something in front of God is idolatry. Everything that knocks him down from the throne of your life and puts even your own children. I mean, you can be idolatrous about your own children. Let's face it. You can be idolatrous about your own stuff. Flee idolatry. Get out of Babylon. Okay? You need to come to the city of God. So come home to Zion. But literally, historically right now, uh, at the time, certainly, that Isaiah is foreseeing, both even under the, the, the shadow of Assyria, Jerusalem is weak. And then later, what Isaiah is kind of foreseeing or God is telling through him is the destruction of Jerusalem, right? During the Babylonian period. Jerusalem is a ruin. You want me to leave Babylon and go to a ruin? And God says, yes, I redeem ruins. Are you dealing with ruins in your own life? in maybe your household, 
in your soul, in your marriage. God redeems ruin. I mean, he raises the dead. So God can redeem ruins. He has redeemed everyone who loves him. He's already done it in Jesus. It's already done. Accept it and receive it. Okay? So come home to Zion. Leave Babylon. Get out before the judgment falls and come home to Zion. And then finally, trust God's plan. Profit in God's peace. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, God keeps calling himself in this section of Isaiah, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, because he's going to send the servant for our redemption. Okay? And remember, the word for redemption here means not just kind of vague savior. He is a kinsman redeemer. He's related to us. He's covenanted to us. He's married to us. He's, he's blood with us. And he sends Jesus in that way. I mean, Jesus is actually flesh and blood with us. Okay? He's the kinsman redeemer. That, that's what's prophesied all through the Old Testament and the provision for kinsman redeemers. And then that's what Jesus is called. So God says, I'm your kinsman redeemer. I'm, I'm sold out to you. And he's the holy one. So he's totally above us and beyond us, but he's the Holy One of Israel. He condescends to be in relationship with Israel and with all his people. Isn't that awesome? So he uses that title and he says, I'm the Redeemer, you know, I'm your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. And then he says, declare it, shout with joy about this. I mean, proclaim it to the rooftops. And finally, what are we supposed to proclaim and what are we supposed to live? We'll keep talking about this, but it's God's harvest law. And the harvest law is this. Number one, plant in trust. Plant in trust and reap a fruitful harvest. Give in trust and reap heavenly blessings. Trust in his word and reap, receive eternal life. Yeah, this is a, this God's harvest law runs all through the Bible. If we're Christians, we're supposed to understand this and live like this. I mean, what we do, what we give matters. There's this harvest principle here. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, God's word says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that shall he also reap. Let me repeat that. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. For the one who sows unto his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. In other words, you indulge yourself in life. You use all your time, your money for yourself. I mean, it's just going to hell. I mean, that's what this just said. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Plant in trust leads to a fruitful harvest. You know, a friend of mine was just asking me recently, what's the difference between justification and sanctification? And, and the thing is, a lot of Christians just think, well, the whole point is just to get saved. No, no, no. Salvation and justification are just the beginning, the ground of a life of fruitfulness so that God, you know, the, the New Testament is focused on us bearing fruit, right? That's sanctification. I mean, the way we tithe and give, the way we witness to other people, the way we uh, parent our children in a godly way, the way we make choices with our time and our hearts, this is all a matter of fruitfulness, okay? So that's the life of salvation in Jesus is called to be a life of not only justification, but increasing holy growth. How are you growing right now? Plant in trust and you will reap blessings eternal. Likewise, give in trust and the harvest is heavenly, okay? Malachi 3.10, bring the full tenth 
into God's house, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you blessings until there is no need into eternity. Do you believe him? Are you just saying you believe and not actually taking hold of his grace? Jesus puts it this way about our giving, you know, what we give to his mission, to the church. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with, Jesus says this now, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then of course, trust in his word. This is the way of life, Romans 10, 17. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus tells a parable of a sower. What is the sower spreading? Seed, what does the seed represent? The word of God. Are you trusting the word of God and is it bringing forth fruit in your heart, in your family, in your life? I pray that you will turn and open yourself to trust him and his word. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Come with him now and forever. Get out of Babylon. Come home to Zion. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.